Suicide is a growing trend in our country. And with few exceptions, the numbers continue to rise. When there are signs of deep discouragement in a person's life, disappointment and anxiety, it is important for us as friends to reach out to those who are struggling and to find out how our friends are doing. Further, we have to be willing to ask hard questions. We have to be willing to ask questions, for instance, have you had thoughts of hurting yourself? Have you had thoughts of putting yourself in danger? We have to ask questions like, are you safe? Are you safe? Safety is a concern for everyone. Some people have different concerns than others. Uh, For some, uh, one person is very concerned that everyone wears a mask. And another person, everyone's concerned that everyone's wearing masks. Uh, You know, it's one person to the next. There's, There's all kinds of different safety concerns. Everyone has some fear in their lives. Like, who isn't at least slightly concerned when they walk down a dark alley? There's some thought of insecurity that pops in your mind in those vulnerable positions. Yet, all of these issues are only about dealing with the safety of this life. We all know it, and Solomon confirms it, everyone dies. Everyone dies. That is a reality. The truth is, none of us know when we will die, even when we have a diagnosis that gives us a certain amount of days, that does not guarantee that that is the duration. It could be shorter, it could be longer, or it could be right on the money. It, it's, we, the, we don't know. This morning, as we meditate through Psalm 90 and consider, it is God that has provided for us a place of safety. God has provided for us a place of safety that endures for all of eternity In fact, He is this eternally safe place. God is the eternally safe place. Take a look at the 90th Psalm. We read it already responsibly. We want to read it again. I'll read it. You follow along this time. Psalm 90, beginning in the first verse. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting you are god you return man to dust and you say return O children of man for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night you sweep them away as with a flood They are like a dream. They are like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life 
are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger or your wrath according to the fear of you? So, teach us to number our days that we may gain or get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This morning as we navigate through it, and it has to be rather brief, we'll categorize it in these three uh, ways. First of all, in verses 1-6, through six, our God is a safe, eternal home for His people. Our God is a safe, eternal home for His people. Verses 1-6. through six. In verses 7-11, through 11, we will note this. Our sin places us in a perilous position. Our sin places us in a perilous position. And finally, in the last portion of this, in verses 12-17, through 17, our desire should be to live in light of God's eternal grace. Our desire should be to live in light of God's eternal grace. And so we start with our God is a safe, eternal home for His people. Look at verses 1-6 through again. Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever uh, You had formed the earth or the world from everlasting to everlasting, You are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them, us, away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass they are renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. Wow, we have a, a great contrast in these first six verses between the eternal nature of God and the fragile nature of man. While man's Life is fragile and uncertain. God is steady, sturdy, and safe. We are fragile. We are uncertain. God is steady, sturdy, and safe. Men come from the dust and return to the dust. Verse 3. And the one who determines when we return to the dust is not us, not a doctor, not a society. We're going to vanquish death in our lifetime. Good luck with that. Let's run away from every possible virus and every possible disease. We'll we'll, we'll get rid of it all. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. A society of fear. God is the one who determines the days of our lives. He has, He does, and He will determine the days of our lives. Man is as fragile as grass in verses 5 and 6. Now maybe you think you have sturdy grass. Oh, I have mature grass. If you really want to test it, 
I'll bring my dog, Julie, over. And I guarantee you she will yellow some of it. And she has the most amazing nails. It takes her one scratch and big clumps of sod come up. It's just You want to test how sturdy your lawn is? I'll bring Julie by. Your lawn is nothing in the light of Julie. But that's not the comparison. It's not, it's not your lawn or Julie. It's actually my life. Temporal, fragile, tender, and God's certain, eternal, unchanging. He is immortal, invisible, the only wise God. That's who he is. God is eternal, verse 2 tells us. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever God had formed the earth of the world, from everlasting, from everlasting, to everlasting, God is. He is God. He's eternal. He determines the lifespan of man in verse 3. In verse 4, time works differently for God. Verse 4 is pretty, it's pretty neat, right? We've all thought about it. We've, we've read it here in Psalm 90. We've also read about it in 2 Peter chapter 3, I believe it is. A thousand years in God's sight is but as yesterday. A thousand years, one day, same to God. Well, that's not how it works for me. I've had a few long days and a few short days in my life, right? But none of them are are equal to a thousand years. I've only been around for 44 of them so far. Getting close to the 45th one. Not there yet. My wife is still older than me. Nine months and nine days, that doesn't change. It's an unalterable difference in age. At any rate, thousand years as yesterday, and it says, when it's past, it's like a watch in the night. Well, how long is a watch in the night? Well, usually the shifts were, were a quarter of the night, maybe three hours, right? Two hours of the night. It's all insignificant because God does, doesn't live in the time frame that we live. Well, He does. He lives above it, however. He transcends time. He's before it and after it. While our lives are out of our control and are fragile, it is God who controls the timing of our lives. And no matter what's happening in us, and no matter what swirls around us, no matter what our society is like, and no matter what generation we are a part of, this remains true. Verse 1 tells us that God is a place of safety always. Look at verse 1. Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. You have been our dwelling place. In other versions, it might say refuge. That's fine. It's not the word in the Greek. It just is a place to, to live. It's just a place to live. And if you are living in the place that God is, I wonder if it is also a refuge. Of course it is. It is a place of safety. And because God is eternal and controls the days of our lives, if we reside in Him, we are residing eternally, safely. This is good. This is how this 
psalm begins. God is eternal and sturdy and safe. We are not eternal. We are fragile. We are temporal. But we have a place to dwell in safety that is in God Himself. Well, he changes direction a little bit in verses 7 through 11. It's only slightly changing because he starts to introduce in verse 3 the vulnerability of being a human. We are made from dust. We return to the dust. And God says, return, O children of man. God, in verses 5 and 6, sweeps us away as with a flood. and Our lives have a short life cycle. And the reason for that is in verses 7-11, through 11, our sin places us in a perilous position. Our sin places us in a perilous position. Verse 7, For we are brought to an end. We, our lives come to an end. How? By your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you. You see them all. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. There's no hiding our sin from God. This puts us in a very challenging place. Verse 9, All our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The reason that we only have 70 or 80 years in verse 10 is because we are of like sinful flesh. We have been born in sin and we have demonstrated our sin. Anyone without sin? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God told Adam and Eve, when you, when you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. That took place the very next chapter. Chapter 4, you have the genealogy, and it's not so subtle. This one lived so many years, and he died. This one lived so many years, and he died. He begat sons and daughters, of course. Don't forget that. But he died. He died. He died. Why? Because of sin. Sin, our sin, puts us in a perilous position. Our society, not surprisingly, is trying to cure all the diseases that could ail us. It certainly makes sense for them. However, there is a danger that our society continues to ignore as men and women continue to disregard the Lord and disregard His Word, they remain under the curse of sin and they remain under the condemnation of sin. And Moses, the man of God, is bringing that out in these verses. That we remain under the curse and condemnation of sin. And God is described as angry with the sinfulness of man in this passage and, and in other passages around the Scriptures as well. His anger is described as wrath here. And it is descri described that way numerous times throughout Scripture. Um, God is angry and wrathful against sin. This is because sin is an affront to Him. This anger and wrath of God against our sin results in both physical death, and he died, and he died, and he died, and far more significantly, it results in spiritual death. You see, everyone dies. But not everyone dies spiritually at the end. 
those who are born twice, born physically, born spiritually, die once, just physically. But those who are born once, physically, die twice, physically and spiritually, eternally. You know, in the first few verses of Psalm 90, we're talking about having a safe place to go. God is a safe dwelling place. But those that refuse to come to God dwell in the very opposite condition. They're not dwelling in safety. They're dwelling in peril. The Bible tells us this again and again. I want to share just a few of these verses with you. They'll be on the screens to my left and right. For those that have not repented of their sin and called upon the name of the Lord, they dwell in a place that is not safe. In Ephesians 2-3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In Colossians chapter 3, in verse 6, this sobering statement is made. Because of these things, it's talking about anger and wrath and malice. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And the very words of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in John chapter 3 and verse 36, call this to account. He's calling for people to believe. But at the same time, He's letting people know their condition without belief. In verse 36 it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Why? Because the wrath of God remains on Him. It abides on Him. It dwells on Him. It's it's almost like it's pressing down. And that's what's Moses is saying in verses 7 through 11, the wrath of God is pressing down upon those that have not turned to God as a place of safety. They haven't turned from their sin and turned to God for rescue. And because of that, they dwell not in safety and satisfaction, not with an assurance of eternal joy with God. Instead, they, they reside in a place where they're under the anger of God and under the wrath of God, and that justly. You know, people want to make you feel badly about your God. They do. They want you to say, God cannot be loving and send someone to eternal punishment. He cannot be this. That's their decision. They've built up a straw man. Oh, you say your God is loving, but He allows people to die. You're bringing up something that is not reality. I deserve to die. You deserve to die believer. Your neighbor deserves to die. We all deserve to be under the anger and wrath of God. He is pure, holy, and righteous. I am other than that in my own nature. I deserve to die. When we turn from our sin and turn to Jesus Christ for salvation, that just anger that I elicited was poured out on Jesus Christ. That's called propitiation. It's the most perilous place to dwell is outside of the safety that God has provided. Look at verse 11. Moses poses this question. Who considers the power of your anger? Who considers the power of your anger? He uses the Hebrew word oz. Oz. It means might. 
or boldness? Who considers the might of your anger? Who considers the boldness of your anger? God doesn't give an account to society's opinion of Him. He's not wondering, oh, I hope they'll accept me. I hope they'll vote for me. He never panics. He never pines. He is fully satisfied in himself. And what he desires, he accomplishes. This is who he is. Who considers the power of his anger? In the second half of verse 11, Moses refers to God's wrath as an outpouring of rage. He says at the end of verse 11, who considers your wrath according to the fear of you? Who considers your wrath? Well, I can tell you this. Those who think about the pouring out of God's wrath should seek refuge in Him. And when we seek refuge in Him, there is good news. According to Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19, those who seek for refuge in God find strong encouragement. Have you found your refuge in Him? Have you? He's your place of safety? Could there be anything more encouraging that you've ever experienced in your life than to know that God has taken away the stain, curse, guilt, and condemnation of your sin and has granted you a perfect standing with Him? That doesn't make me wonder what will happen in the end. But instead, with confidence, I can navigate through life knowing that my day will come. I will finally die. And when I do, the best is left. For me to live as Christ, but to die as gain. So I would much rather depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is necessary for you. And that's what you can say. To remain in the flesh is necessary for you. All the people all around you, both in this room, out of this room, in this building, and out of this building, in your house, and out of your house, in your place of employment, and out of the place of your employment. It's better for them. Why? Because you bear the marks of Christ. And you carry the message of Jesus Christ and the the hope and the strong consolation, the strong encouragement that is found in Him. He is our refuge. This is why we're here. Our sin puts us in a perilous position. But God, because of His grace, has provided us with strong encouragement. Why? Because those who come to Him, He will never cast out. And He didn't cast you out when you came, which is why you have such confidence. You see, Jesus laid down His life to deal with God's anger and wrath against our sin. Again, I mentioned this already. This is the doctrine of propitiation. In Jesus' perfect life and perfect sacrificial death, God is satisfied and His wrath is abated or settled but it's only settled for those who call upon the name of the Lord. When this happens, instead of being under God's just wrath, we reside in Him. A place of refuge and safety. Well, how do we respond to these things? 
those who have fled for refuge and experienced God's forgiveness, those who dwell safely, what do we do? How do we respond? Well, verses 12 through the end of the chapter give us this idea of how we respond. Our desire should be to live in light of God's eternal grace. Look at verses 12 and following. So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us. This is a prayer. Satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. Make us glad, excuse me. And for as many days as we have uh, seen evil, let your work be known to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Just briefly, Moses prays to, uh, for God to work on his behalf and so should we. God, teach me to number my days. Teach me to, to live in the light of my fragility and his eternity. Teach me to live in light of the fact that while God can call me home to return to dust, when that takes place, I go to glory to be with Him who is eternal. Live in light of God's eternal nature. Lord, help us to live in light of that. Not our present circumstances. In verse 14, he tells us, he asks the Lord, satisfy us in the morning with Your steadfast love. The concept of uh, satisfaction is complete fulfillment. Being satiated. Oh, I'm so thirsty. In fact, I am right now. I'm so thirsty. I, I need something. And we take a drink of cold water and it satisfies us. Well, that's exactly what God does. He satisfies us with what? It says in, in, in verse 14, with His steadfast love. And the word there in the Hebrew is chesed. It has the idea of steadfast, faithful, covenant love. Covenant love. God doesn't break His covenants. Man breaks His covenant. Men break their vows. God does not. When God makes a promise to love you to the end, He will love you to the end. Nothing separates us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is so satisfying. And sometimes we still need to say, Lord, satisfy me. I'm so focused on elections and politics and, and diseases and finances and the way things go and, and society's view toward you. I'm so wrapped up in all of this. Lord, satisfy me in your steadfast love. Boy, when we take our eyes off the nonsense, <laughs> it's so easy to be satisfied. It really is. Even in pain. Even when your body hurts. Even with a migraine. Even with a lack of sleep. When we think of the faithfulness of God, everything else fades into the background. My problem, and perhaps yours, is that when I have a migraine, I'm focused on the migraine, right? When I haven't slept, I'm focused on what? If you take your eyes and turn them upward, 
everything changes. Everything changes. Oh, God, satisfy me. The result of that is joy. At the end of verse 14, he asks God to give him a, a rejoicing, a, re, a ringing cry, and gladness. This represents uh, also his request in verse 15. Make us glad in verse 15. Make us glad. What does that mean? Help me to rejoice no matter what's going on. Rejoice evermore. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. How does this happen? Only by the grace of God. We're not talking about mustering up joy of ourselves. My joy is fickle, right? If I have a pizza in front of me, I'm pretty happy. If there's a brown, hot brownie Sunday in front of me, I'm pretty happy. If I can watch football, I'm pretty happy. If I'm hanging out with my wife or my kids, preferably my wife and my kids, or preferably just my wife, any of those combinations, everything's great. Happy. It's wonderful. When, when things are just the way I want them, great. But throw some other stuff in the mix and see if I'm really joyful. Probably not so much. Unless I have died to myself. And the desires of this flesh don't rule over me any longer. What a difference. At any rate, we've got to move forward. Show me, in verse 16, your handiwork in life. Well, we, we see His handiwork. It's all around us, right? We see His hand of creation. We know His hand in our own lives. Can you see it in every, every event in your life? Good ones? Bad ones? And everything in between? God is navigating you through this life. He is shepherding you. He is a good shepherd. Oh, wait a second. He's a great shepherd. Oh, no, 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 that's not it. He's the chief shepherd. And that's where he's leading us toward that final destination. The chief shepherd will appear, and we will appear with him in glory. Verse 17, continue to shower your grace upon us is essentially what he says. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. The word there in the Hebrew is noem. Kindness, pleasantness, and beauty. Oh, the psalmists have uh, encouraged us to consider God's wonder, His benefits. Bless the Lord in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all His benefits. In Psalm 68, 19, listen to these words. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. The God of our salvation. See how. Pause. Consider. That's the New King James translation. Here's the ESV translation. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. So there's a difference. One's loading us down with blessing. The other is bearing us up. And the, the bearing us up is what the text actually says. The, the Hebrew warrants God is holding us up. And the reason I wanted to bring this out is because it, it relates us back to our Psalm 90. Here we are. We dwell in a fickle, fragile world. But God is a place of safety. And no matter what you face, no matter how difficult things may get, He's a place that you can reside in safety. He bears us up. 
He comes with us through the valley of the shadow of death, so we will fear no evil. Our lives are fragile. Our sin warrants judgment. But God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, has provided complete and lasting remedy for our sin. So those who turn from their sin and turn to Jesus for forgiveness find a place of safety in God. A place of safety. This helps us to see our lives in light of our eternal God. We recognize that this life is but a moment and our real lives lie ahead. While we wait for that coming day, while you wait for that coming day, we should seek God's wisdom and enjoy His grace.